Shreveport. I have quite a bit of family over that way. And my great uncle passed away a few months ago. Uh, he had contracted COVID, got COVID pneumonia, and just wasn't able to recover. But one of the things that was amazing about him, and I've spoken about him once before, Uncle Kendall, Kendall Bailey, was a dentist there in Shreveport, is that man, he loved the Lord and he loved his wife. He loved his family. And Uncle Kendall, he would go, he went to Mexico over 30 years in a row in the summers to do medical missions. He was real involved in the FCA. He was a trustee for Louisiana College, was in fact the FCA Man of the Year. One year did a lot in the community of Shreveport. And then he developed Alzheimer's and his memory just really went and went and went to where um, he could remember things longer term, but his short term was really what was badly affected. And when we would go over and visit with him, oh, this last year, um, especially the last two years, it was real evident, uh, again, that he loved the Lord and he loved his wife. And, and my great aunt, her maiden name was Jackie Till. And so instead of calling her Jackie Bailey, he would say, I love Jackie Till. I love Jackie Till. And he would say that about every 15 minutes or so. He'd go, I love Jackie Till. That's a good woman. I love Jackie Till. And he, would lo he loved the Lord, and he'd talk about the Lord. And any time I had something uh, going on with somebody that had been baptized or given their life to the Lord or something going on in our family that God had done, man, he just laser-focused in. And he loved to hear and to talk about the Lord. So even though the Alzheimer's had severely affected his ability to comprehend or to recall other things, those things that were at his core, his love for the Lord and his love for his wife were just those things he ended with a good testimony. That was constantly coming out of his heart and what was on his lips. And it made me think about that. You know, I, I want to have a good testimony in my life that no matter what comes at the end of the day, I, what's coming out of me is good, that it's love, that it's pointing to Christ, that it's bringing glory to God. And as I was reading in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul's talking about, in essence, having a good testimony to those who are outside. And I believe he gives us four things that help us to really maintain, to obtain and maintain a good testimony uh, to those that are outside. So I've titled today's sermon, Paul's Prescription for a Good Testimony, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. And, and you know what a prescription is. If you get sick, and let's say that you've developed strep throat, and you go to a doctor, right? There are other things going on in the world than COVID, right? There's other sicknesses still happening. And let's say you develop strep throat, and you go to to Clark Langley, and you're saying, hey, doc, I've got strep throat. He tests you. Yeah, you got strep. And then he, let's say he writes you a prescription for, you know, some allergy medicine. You go, what in the world? This isn't the right thing. Is Clark going to do that? No, he's going to give you the antibiotic to treat the illness. He's going to give you a prescription that is the right medicine for the right thing. You see, you have to have the right prescription to address the issue that's going on. And for the Colossians, as Paul was bringing his epistle to a close, what he's been doing throughout all of Colossians, and I think this is so significant to, to realize how he turns it, he's been exalting Christ before them. He wants them to really keep Christ the focus in their own lives and to not fall away. But where he kind of turns that as he brings it to an end is, but remember, it's not just about you having right doctrine, 
or keeping Christ in the right place in your own life. It's also about your witness to those who are outside. He said, all of this that we've been talking about, all of this doctrine, all of this exalting Jesus, all of this keeping Jesus first, at some point it really has to translate into your testimony among those who do not know Jesus yet. So when we come to verse 5, Colossians 4 verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are, what? Outside. He's speaking of those who don't yet know Christ, who are outside of the local body. And he says, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And that's as far as we're going to get today. As I was translating that this week, I noticed that there's one main verb and four phrases that modify that verb. And I thought, well, man, that's really something that Paul's trying to drive home that we need to spend time on. The main verb is in chapter 4, verse 5, where he says, walk in wisdom. That word that we translate as walk, that's an imperative. That's a command. He's commanding us to walk in wisdom. And then he qualifies what that looks like. He says, redeeming the time. That's a participle phrase, again, modifying the main verb. Walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom. And then verse 6, that your speech would always be with grace. That's how we walk in wisdom is let your speech always be with grace. And then, again, seasoned with salt. That's another modifying phrase, pointing back. And then the fourth is that you may know how you ought to answer each one. He's saying that as we are committed to walking in wisdom, the result will be that we will have an answer for those who are out on the outside. We will maintain a good testimony and to be able to share Christ with those who don't yet know him. So let's look at these four things. Again, Paul's prescription for a good testimony. Picking back up at verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. First point I have for you, the first part of this prescription is this. Make the most of every opportunity that God gives you. Make the most of every opportunity God gives you. When it says redeeming the time, that's that first phrase that's modifying walk in wisdom. Redeeming has to do with buying up, uh, to purchase. He's saying the time that you're given... Make the most of it. Walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. The time that you're given, make the most of it. Sometimes the best way to illustrate something is by the opposite. And you know, I've told you I'm not always the hero to every story. So here's a story where I failed. People, you know, love hearing those, it seems like. And so I'll give you one where I failed. Uh, my kids and I had had a Friday where we were, this was way over a year ago now, we were... Um, cleaning up our front yard. We were raking leaves. We were just cleaning up with acorns that had fallen and all kinds of leaves. And we were just having a day on a Friday to just clean up the yard. We had finished. It was the end of the day. We were finishing putting up the tools and on our way to go inside for dinner. It was dinner time. The work day was done. At that time, as I'm cleaning up and putting up the tools, everybody else had gone inside. There was a young boy, 10 or 11-ish, Walking down my street, I had never seen him before, completely by himself. Walks down my driveway, he says, sir, do you have any work that I can do for you? I'm trying to earn some money. Is there anything I can do for you to earn some money? I said, man, you, you just missed us by a few hours. I mean, we've been doing this all day, and we literally just finished. I'm putting up 
stuff, and we're going in for dinner. And I said, but you know, well, I'm sure we'll be out doing something tomorrow. If you'd like to come back tomorrow morning, I could probably figure out something for you to do if you'd like to earn some money. And he kind of put his head down and, okay, and I mean, he was nice about it, and he left. But it was one of those things, as he left, I began to process the interaction more. And I realized, first of all, it's really odd that a 10 or 11-year-old boy was walking through my neighborhood all by himself. Somebody I had never seen before. had no idea where he was going, where he would come from. His clothes weren't real nice. He looked hungry. And so I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder if that boy is trying to figure out how to get some food. And I had gone inside, and I'm thinking on this as I'm watching us put our dinner on the table, and I thought, I just messed up. God just dropped an opportunity in my lap, and I just goobered it. I messed up. That's told Katie, I'll, I got to go. I'll be back. And I got in my car, and I drove up and down the streets of Liberty City for a good 15 minutes trying to find God, help me find that boy. I will invite him to dinner. I'll see if he's got family we need to call. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm so sorry. I, did, I wasn't paying attention when he came back first. Just help me to find him. Driving. I could not find him. It was like he disappeared into thin air. And I waited to see if he would come back the next day. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Bring him back the next day. I'm ready. You know, and he didn't come back. Man, that ate at me. God literally dropped somebody in need on my doorstep. And just in my hurry to wrap up the work day and go in for dinner, I just, it didn't register. I, it didn't hit me till I went inside and thought, what did I just miss? You know, one thing I learned about doing ministry is we are on God's timetable for the ministry he wants us to do. We're not on our timetable. And when I was a chaplain for the city of Princeton, I really learned that because I never, ever got a chaplain call that was a good time for me. Every single chaplain call I got, I was in the middle of something else, and it was a big inconvenience. And not only was it a big inconvenience, it was usually a fatality. That's why they call it the chaplain. It was an unattended death. It was an accident where there was a fatality. It was something extremely serious, and I needed to go, and I needed to be there. It was never a convenient time, though. And what we must understand about ministry is that God brings us the ministry that he wants us to have in his timing, in his way. And so our response is to, under the leadership of his spirit, to be walking with him, to keep our eyes on him, to be sensitive to what's going around so that we can respond and we can redeem the time. And in other words, as I put it, we can make the most of every opportunity that God gives us. That when God brings it to us. Now that doesn't mean we're to just sit back and be passive. We've already been told to go and make disciples. There's nothing passive about that. But when God brings us those opportunities, make the most of every opportunity God gives us. And a part of that, as we continue on with verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So he really goes into talking about our speech more. And this is just a basic principle. If you don't watch your speech, you won't have a good testament, and you won't, you're going to just completely mess up any opportunity to do ministry anyways. And so what he's saying is, look, be ready to minister to those who are outside, and if you're going to be ready to minister, you need to consider these things with the way that you talk. Or else you're going to really mess up your opportunities. And the first one, again in verse 6, 
He says, let your speech always be with grace. Here's just kind of a, a more modern way to say that. Would be, speak as you want to be spoken to. That's our second point. Speak as you want to be spoken to. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Um, you know, what is grace? Especially, you know, for, for kids, that seems kind of like a concept that's out there. How do we bring that down where we can really comprehend it? I think an easy way, a way for me that helps me understand grace is to talk about it in light of mercy as well. Mercy is when we're not given what we do deserve. So I have sinned before a holy God. I am deserving of his wrath for my sin. But in mercy, Jesus takes my place and dies in my place for my sin. So I'm not given what I deserve. Christ has taken it on my behalf. Grace is then the other side. God gives me what I don't deserve. God gives me forgiveness. God gives me his spirit. God calls me by a name, calling me his own, his child. And none of that is stuff that I can ever earn or deserve my own accord. It's grace. It's given to me because of Jesus. So again, that kind of helps me looking at mercy and grace together. But he's saying, let, let your speech always be with grace. The way that you treat one another, let it always be with grace. In other words, speak as you want to be spoken to. You know, you never know what's going on in someone else's day, do we? But man, what I have found, just part of the human experience, the flesh, we are so quick to make judgments and be like, well, this is how they should be acting or this is how they should be doing and, well, this is what I expect of them and if they don't do it, well, you know, whatever. And we tend to, instead of let our speech be seasoned with grace, the flesh, the sinful human flesh gravitates towards a critical spirit. A critical spirit is, well, I would have done that different. I would have done that better. Well, why didn't they do that that way? And we think that somehow we have a right to sit in judgment of others. You know, I've been in ministry for 21 years now, and it's amazing over the decades how many times I've been sitting in a meeting with somebody that wanted to come see me, and I've been thinking, wow, they sure know how to pastor this church better than I do. They should have applied for the position, you know? It's amazing. Somebody that wasn't called to something, that didn't pray about the decision I prayed about, that wasn't faced with all the choices or all the knowledge I had, but somehow they would have done a lot better job with it than I would have done in that situation. Well, that's amazing. Uh, you know, it's kind of like if I would have uh, come to some of your jobs and I don't have the knowledge about what you do, but I'm just sitting there going, well, you're doing that wrong. I would have, you know. But that mentality, I think we just naturally gravitate toward that. Uh, outside of Jesus Christ, that's the flesh, where we look at what other people are doing or what they've done, and we feel like somehow we have a right to say, well, that's, that's wrong. The difference between grace and the critical spirit, the reason I'm bringing that up, is substantial. One gives life, the other tears down. And what we need to understand is we need to address this in our lives personally because it applies to how we treat our family. It applies to how we treat our coworkers. It applies really to how we speak to anybody. And at the end of the day, it's affecting your testimony for Jesus Christ. And what's behind a critical spirit is this. It's not a mystery. It's the pride of life. 
What's behind a critical spirit is the pride that says, well, I know better than you do in this circumstance. And so what grace is, what's behind grace is humility. And that's why sometimes we struggle with being gracious because our flesh doesn't want to be humble. We want to be proudful. We want to be puffed up. We want to assume that we know more, that we know better, that we would have handled it differently. But as believers in Jesus Christ, God has called us to walk in humility, to consider the needs of others before ourselves, to realize that we don't have it all figured out, that we maybe would have not handled that situation better. We probably would have handled it worse. And so, therefore, when we speak to one another, speak with grace. Now, let's play that out a little bit more. What if there were three to 500 people that went out as the body of Christ known as Liberty City, and we were characterized as people who, man, the way they just talk to one another and those around them, they are just full of grace, and they are just giving life in the way that they speak. What a great testimony that would be. Amen? Wouldn't that be great? Guess what? That's what we're called to. That's God's expectation of us. That we would be people with our speech, listen, always. That doesn't give any wiggle room, does it? Now, will we mess up at times? Yeah, we do. Man, I have a terrible time of popping off and then having to immediately apologize for popping off. But I'm getting better at it, a lot better at it than I was 10 years ago, you know? Hopefully tomorrow I'll be better at it than I was today. The Bible says let your speech always be with grace. That teaches us to lean on the Holy Spirit. Speak as you would want to be spoken to. And I'm going to give you one other illustration, then we'll move on to the next thing. This reminds me of James and John in Luke chapter 9. They were known as the sons of thunder. James and John, James, uh, they, were, they were known as bow energies, the sons of thunder, because, man, they were just fiery personalities. And in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus had sent out people to go kind of like advanced teams to go into the towns that he was about to go to and to preach and to prepare the towns to receive him. And there were some disciples that had gone and they had preached in a Samaritan town that Jesus was about to enter, and, and that town rejected him. So James and John, they said, well, Jesus, you know, they've rejected you. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did to consume that town? That's, that was their response. And Jesus just goes, you guys have no idea what you're talking about, in essence. He said, the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to save it. And that's a great picture right there of what often is our go-to. James and John go, this is Jesus. Don't they understand they've just rejected Jesus? Don't they understand who they're talking to? We're going to call down fire. Those people hadn't done right. And Jesus goes, <laughs> you guys are clueless. That's not what I'm about. I have come to bring life, not to call down fire. So many times as believers, we are so quick to call down fire. And Jesus is just shaking his head going, guys, that's not what I'm about. That's just simply not what I'm about. Speak as you want to be spoken to. Now, continue on, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. That seems kind of weird, right? Why, why would you bring that in? Well, salt was a preservative in those days. And that, and that brings us to our third part of the prescription for a good testimony. Is this, speak words of life. Salt was a preservative. They didn't have modern refrigeration. And so let's say that you had some meat that you wanted to preserve. There was a certain process that they would go through to 
to age it, to dry it, and to cure it with salt. And so that, that preserved things. So when you talk about using salt, you're talking about being life-giving. So when he's saying that your speech should be always seasoned with grace and then seasoned with salt, he's saying that what comes out of your mouth, it needs to be something that's life-giving, not something that is tearing down. You may say, well, but yes, in Scripture we're also supposed to, when a brother's erring in sin, we're supposed to confront, convict, uh, to rebuke, to try to help people see the error of their way. Yeah, we are, but always in love. And from the experiences that I've had, again, in 21 years of ministry, most of the time when somebody comes, most of the time, when somebody has a problem, it's not out of a genuine love for you that they're talking to you. It's that they're irritated and it makes them feel better about telling you about why they're irritated with you. Can we, can we all get a little, uh, a little honest about that this morning? How often, when you're talking to somebody about something you disagree with, is it more about you getting your disapproval across rather than you really loving that person? See, we are to speak words of life. And if you don't have a genuine love and a genuine concern and a genuine humility towards someone, keep your mouth shut. That's just biblical. We are to speak words of life. Seasoned with salt. You know, Jesus did this with Peter. Jesus gives us such a good example with Peter. Peter was, you know, James, if James and John were the sons of thunder, uh, I guess Peter was like the son of lightning or something. I don't know, because he was always so quick to just get it wrong and put his foot in his mouth and just mess up. And, you know, Peter gives me a lot of hope, again, for my own life. Okay, there's hope for me. God can still do something with me. I can get it right. I'll be a little better tomorrow than I am today by God's grace. Jesus, in, in talking to them about his sufferings, Peter bows up and says, well, I'll never forsake you. Uh-uh. These other jokers, they may turn and run. I'm not going to do it. I'll die for you, Jesus. Jesus goes, <laughs> okay. Um, in fact, Peter uh, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. That's what's actually going to happen. Uh, and then in, in Luke's account of this, he says, But when you've returned, don't forget to go strengthen your brothers. So even in that moment when Peter is acting a fool, Jesus in love says, Well, actually, Peter, what you're going to do is you are going to deny me. But also remember this, when, you, when you've re repented and returned, don't forget about your other brothers that are struggling. Go and strengthen them. Those are words of grace. Those are words of, of life to say, you know what, you are going to mess up, but let me give you something to do after you've messed up and you've returned. You see the life? Do you see the grace? Do you see the season with salt in that? And then when Jesus meets with his disciples after his resurrection on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which Katie and I got to go to, it was this amazing experience to think that Jesus had been there with his disciples and they had breakfast on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? And he says, of course I love you. And then Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, of course I love you. Well, then tend to my, my flock. Be my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, now follow me. 
You see, these are words of life that actually care enough for that other person that has failed, that hasn't done right, to say, here's the way forward. Here is the way forward. Those are words of life. And isn't that how Jesus deals with all of us? When you read God's word, isn't that how he deals with us? His word is life. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for there's the power of God to salvation to all who believe that as we hear the word of God, the word of God is life-giving, conforming us to the image of his son. And then again, verse 6, the fourth thing that I have for you. Let's look at verse 6 one more time. I'll give you the fourth. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, that's a pretty bold um, statement. I've talked to plenty of people that have shared with me, you know, I'm having trouble maybe sharing the gospel with my coworker, or I've got a family member that I want to share Christ with or my kids. And, and as believers, sometimes we struggle with how do I get into that conversation with people, right? And so the, the statement that Paul's making, he's saying, look, if you do these things, you will know you'll have the right testimony to those who are outside, and you'll know how to answer them. You'll know how to answer them with the hope of the gospel. Well, that's a pretty great promise from God's word, isn't it? I mean, that's one that I, I want to cling to. And, and so I, I like to put that last part this way. Speak the right thing at the right time and the right way. That's the last part of our prescription for a good testimony is to speak the right thing at the right time and the right way. Paul's saying that you may know how you ought to speak to answer each what? Each one. Because every situation is different. I think sometimes we are... um, confused in that we think that it's just a matter of getting the truth out there. I just need to get the truth out there, you know, and they'll either receive it or reject it. No, it is about getting the truth out there, but it's also about getting it out there in the right manner and at the right time. Uh, I remember, again, here's, I'm going to tell another story on myself, another time I failed. Um, When I was a pastor in Princeton and I was a church planter, pastor there, we had a children's director that was going through some some family issues, and she was on the verge of making some poor choices in relation to her family, and we were talking about it, and I just very, very directly told her, well, that's, that's not the right decision, and you need to do this, this, and this, and think about these things, and that was it. And I thought, well, man, I'm glad I talked to her, and hopefully we headed that off at the pass, and, and we're good. Well, later uh, that day, I got a call from my, my worship minister, who had also talked to her, he said, well, yeah, I, I talked to her today, and and, and yeah, she is going to go ahead and do this, this, and this, and she's going to make the right, you know, decision. He's like, but, you know, she, you might want to follow up with her because she was a little upset after she talked to you. I was like, really? Why? He goes, well, you, you told her the right things, but you were pretty direct in how you do it, did it, and she didn't quite receive it the right way. I was like, ah, that's a great lesson to learn. It's not just about, let me just get the truth out there, just bleh, truth bomb, you need to receive it. No, it's not that. It's also getting the right thing out there the right way at the right time. And so then that is walking in wisdom. See, all of these things go back to walking in wisdom. It would be unwise to just throw things out at the wrong time the wrong way. But walking in wisdom is to not only have the right thing to say, but doing it in the right time 
and the right way. And you know what? All of that comes back to motives. When your heart is truly right towards somebody, you will know the right thing to say at the right time and the right way to do it. But if your heart isn't right, then keep your mouth shut until it is. Otherwise, you're just causing more harm than good, and you'll end up damaging your own testimony. You know, to, to bring it to a close, it reminds me of how Jesus handled the Samaritan woman. Jesus, you know, obviously was just such a master at all of his interactions, giving us great examples. He spent these times with the crowds, and then he spent times with individuals, and he was this, it was this back and forth uh, uh, with the large groups and then with individuals, and especially in his interactions with individuals, it's so amazing to see how Jesus just dealt with people where they were at. So in John 4, as Jesus had been going through a Samaritan region, and he stops at this Samaritan town, and the Samaritans were hated by Jews, so Jesus' largely Jewish disciples go off to try to find something to eat or drink. It's about noon, middle of the day. Jesus sits at a well, and a woman comes to the well. Now, a woman to come to a well at noon was odd. The woman went in the morning because it was cooler in the morning, and they would get their water, and they'd take in these huge jugs back to their home. This woman was an outcast. She didn't go with the rest of the women. She came when no one else would be around. But Jesus is there. And, and Jesus asked her for something to drink. And she looks at him and she says, why are you even talking to me? You're, you're a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman in public. This is against social norm. Time out. What are you doing? And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand who I am. I'm, I'm actually here for you. And if you understood who I was, you'd be asking me for something to drink. And she says, in essence, you're crazy. <laughs> you don't even have anything to draw from the well with. What are you talking about? He says, well, I'm talking about a water that's everlasting. It will spring up into everlasting life, and you'll never thirst again. She's like, yeah, give me some of that water. And Jesus, in his conversation with her, meets her where she's at. And he calls her in to a relationship with himself. And she believes in him, and she immediately goes out, and I love it, in John 4, she went to town, the woman that was before embarrassed, the woman that was an outcast, the woman that went to the well all by herself, after her encounter with Jesus, she goes into town, and it says there in John 4, that many believed because of her testimony. And then they came out to meet Jesus, and many more believed when they encountered him for themselves. Do you see what's at stake here, believer? All of what I've said to bring it to this. Watch your mouth because souls hang in the balance. God is calling us to walk in wisdom and to be mindful of what we say, to be people full of grace, to have our speech seasoned with salt, and to be ready to give and answer to those who are outside because the souls of men and women and children hang in the balance. And I want to be a person whose words are full of life rather than someone who is known to be critical, to tear down, to sit in the place of judge. God has called us to be life givers even through the way that we speak, not only to one another, but to those who are on the outside who desperately need the life that is found in Jesus Christ. 
And to bring it to a close, aren't you grateful that in Jesus Christ that life is possible for us? Aren't you grateful that God can take us in our weakness and our frailty and in our times of popping off and God can redeem that, that God can grow us up, that God can mature us? Aren't you grateful that God can help us to say the right thing the right way at the right time? Aren't you grateful that that is actually possible, that that is doable, that that is the reality for a believer in Jesus Christ filled with the Spirit, forgiven of God, that as God's child, this can be the way my life is characterized. My speech, always filled with grace, seasoned with salt, ready to give an answer to those who are on the outside. That can be the life that I live in Jesus Christ. And aren't you grateful for it? If you've never put your faith in Christ, man, that's where it begins today. There is a God who has given his son that you might know life. Jesus has died in the place for our sins. As I said before, mercy. He has died in our place that you might know grace, forgiveness. And there is no other way that God has provided. It is only through his son. And if we will turn from all the other ways that we're trusting in, and we will look to Jesus, the Bible is calling us to look to him that we might live. That by faith we say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. You have died in my place for my sins. You are the way God's provided. And I ask you now to forgive me, to save me, to change me, to call me by name, to make me yours. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of God. So for some of you, it's your day to call out upon Jesus and experience life. For others of us, I would say for the majority of us, it's an opportunity for us to go, Lord, search me. Show me where my speech has been contrary to the testimony you'd have me to have. Show me where my speech has been contrary to being a life giver. Show me where my speech has been critical and from the root of pride rather than of humility and grace seasoned with salt. Would we be bold enough to ask God to do that work in our heart? Would we be honest enough to allow God to do that work in our heart? At the end of the day, what that does is that leaves the results in God's hands. It says, God, I'm going to quit judging through my words And I'm going to trust that work into your hands. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to trust you to do the work in my heart that I need done. I'm going to close this with a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you to join me. I'm going to just uh, close my eyes and bow my head. And and I do believe that we're going to be starting a a public invitation again in in the next few weeks again soon. But to continue on as we have been doing, I'm just going to invite you to focus in on the Lord's presence for a few minutes. And I want to ask you, have you ever put your faith in Christ to be saved? If not, tell him today what's in your heart. Express your faith to Jesus today. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you have died in my place for my sins. I believe you rose again from the grave and I'm asking you to forgive me, to fill me with your spirit. To make me a child of God. Put all of my faith in you. I'm trusting in you to do what you've promised to do. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving my soul. And Lord Jesus, for the rest of us, we simply ask that you would forgive us for the ways that we've hindered our testimony. Through the things that have crossed our lips and gone out our mouth. 
Help us to check the motives of our hearts. Help us to be honest enough about why we say the things that we say. Impress upon our hearts what really hangs in the balance. There's so much that hangs in the balance of the things that we speak. May we be a people that build up and not tear down. May we be a people that speak words of life and not criticism. May we be a people of grace to one another and to those who are on the outside that through us and the way that we speak that people would come to know you. What a joy that would be, Lord, to be able to lead other people to know you by the way that we speak. Please bless and keep our church. We are are excited about the things to come in the life of our church as you give us days. And I pray that it would all be for the glory of your great name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.